Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, everyone. I am Bo Brabo, and I want to welcome you to the Inspiring Leadership Series. Well, Bo, it's great to have you on the series. Thank you very much for coming all the way over from Ohio in the US of A. And uh, you are one interesting guy. Bo is an author uh, and a fascinating book from Battlefield uh, to White House to Boardroom. Couldn't be more interesting for me. Uh, he's a keynote speaker. He's a coach. And the Bo and the Luke Show, which is a podcast, uh, is in the top 2.5% of global podcasts, which is one huge achievement considering there's 1.7 million podcasts. Bo, welcome. It's great having this series. And tell us a little bit about your current role and your life and your career journey into leadership. I'd love to hear more. Well, thank you, Jonathan. It is it is just truly great to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity to be in be part of the inspiring leadership series. I think you're doing great work, and it's an important topic. So, my journey uh, about me really it goes back, and when we talk battlefield, White House, boardroom, the book was written about my journey with leadership lessons and stories and everything in between mixed in uh, to make the book interesting and for people to read and so forth. Uh, but that journey really started at a real, at a young age uh, when I was 17 years old uh, in high school, and uh, an army recruiter came to our high school. We had a career day, and that back then in the in the mid 80s was a was the most popular popular speech or session you could go to on career day, and it was just jam packed in the school library. So of course I was one of those participants, and it wasn't long after that where I visited the recruiter in person. And, and the next thing you know, he had me hooked. I said, I want to get into business administration. And he said, well, let me look through my big regulation, this giant book that I have. And he flipped through, took him a few minutes. And the first thing he found that had the word administration in it was personnel administration. I was 17. I knew nothing. I'm, I'm absolutely confident. This guy was telling me everything, everything I needed to know. So I, yep, sure. I'm, I'll make the leap between business and personnel for sure. I'll do it. Raised my right hand, enlisted that day, went to boot camp after my junior year of high school. And back then, you know, personnel was human resources, or that's what it is today. And I've been in that my entire life. Uh, but it was, it was boot camp, literally at the age, at the ripe young age of 17 years old, uh, when I had drill sergeants screaming at me every day and just breaking you down to nothing so they can build you back up into a soldier. And they're doing that to, you know, 200 other guys uh, there along with me. Everybody's getting treated poorly or, you know, we're all getting treated the same, but for a purpose. And that's when I learned, and I'm very, very, very thankful. That's when I learned discipline. I learned what it was like to get up at 3 a.m. every day, because that's what time they're waking us up. I learned what it was like to get up and go straight from 3 a.m. to doing a push-up because you're just getting you know, you're getting hammered with physical fitness. 
Uh, and then, and then that kind of took me through and I, and I've had all this confidence and motivation and inspiration and discipline really set me up for, uh, for everything else down the road. Uh, I feel, I, I cannot overstress, uh, how, how blessed and fortunate I feel that I had the, I had the, I don't know, intestinal fortitude, whatever to raise my right hand and take that action or make that decision, uh, at 17 years old. Cause it taught me so much when people ask me today, you know, how, how do you, how do you find, you know, your battle rhythm during the day? How do you get to the gym every morning? How do you, you know, how do you find the discipline to, to not give up and to keep going even when failure hits and my, in my, of course I have an answer for that, but in my mind, I'm right back to, I'm right back to 17 years old in boot camp when, you know, you just didn't have a choice and they just beat that into you. Uh, almost literally, uh, but it, it just turned people into these uh, soldiers, if you will. That's what we were, but we were disciplined, ready to take on the world. Uh, so today, uh, through 34 years of human resources, uh, from, which included 26 years in the Army, uh, 10 of that was in the White House under Presidents Bush and President Obama as the Chief of Human Resources, uh, human resource operations, and as a presidential communications officer, leading teams for both Presidents Bush and President Obama. And it, then it got me into corporate America after I retired in 2013 and several uh, executive HR roles. And, and then to today, uh, just as the pandemic is starting, you know, I launched my own company called Hale Media Group. Uh, and it has been a journey uh, for sure. And all under that, under, under that umbrella is keynote speaking, writing, uh, coaching, consulting, uh, and so forth. And, and that's where I'm at today and just loving every minute of it. Fantastic, Bo. And, and you must have had to pivot because you, you walked into in March time, so yeah. I did, you know, there was the public speaking and the team events and face-to-face -face coaching. Mm -hmm. You had to pivot and change. Um, yes. So, so what, what did you give up and what have you... Uh, modified too because you've also right got the the bravo center of excellence which i'd love you to tell us about because sure you're developing these excellent programs for people and they can get certified certainly on the the hr and the leadership development side which i think is very exciting but 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 how did you pivot what did you give up because you couldn't do speaking you couldn't do team events and things like that um, right what, what did you do instead yeah so so I had this, you know, it was, it was unfortunate, of course, for, for the entire world that this pandemic hits. And right at that time, my book had just been published in February and I had a, I had a book tour planned, had a great big launch party planned in Washington, DC, and was going to have some VIP guests. And that just went right out the window and never happened because all those in-person things just weren't going to, weren't going to cut it. And any speaking that I had done in the past prior to uh, March of this year had pretty much all been in person, in person events, conferences, you name it. And, and then that pivot, uh, I was very, very, very lucky. And uh, well, we had started, let me backtrack just a bit. We had started the idea and putting together the plan for our own podcast. The benefit with that is uh, when this hits, well, now we're getting all encompassed into Zoom being online, being, being behind this camera on a screen like we're doing now, kind of, kind of just kind of went with that and got better and better and better at it. So more, more in tune with speaking behind the mic, with trying to look at the camera as you're speaking and, and delivering, 
delivering webinars and so forth uh, over video versus being somewhere in person. That was all part of the pivot. And then in doing the podcast, Jonathan, one of our guests, uh, Marcus Ogden, a former NFL player uh, in the United States, he played for six or seven different teams. So he had a, he had a good career in the NFL. And then he started a business when he got out. He worked really hard. He, bought law, he lost his business. Uh, and, and he too had to pivot in life. And his story was incredibly inspiring. And today he's a, he's a keynote speaker. He's an author. He's a coach. And I felt like Marcus, Marcus was, I don't know, maybe three years ahead of where I saw myself being. Like he's, he's the one that has been there, done that. He's been through the trials and tribulations. Uh, so, so I ended up starting to work with Marcus on a coaching where he's my coach. And he, he helped me in that pivot of transitioning everything over to the home office, the online environment, um, connected me with other, other businesses to, uh, to even work with them and, and start doing online webinars, uh, paid, paid webinars and so forth uh, for other individuals and other companies. So that was all part of the pivot that, that leads to today in doing podcasts like this with you and being on other people's podcasts as a guest, mm. fantastic opportunity to talk about what you're doing and so forth. And then in all of that, uh, what has, what has come to fruition, because this was not, this was not an idea in January, February, or even March, April of this year was launching the Bravo center of excellence, which is an online, online school, online platform for human resource uh, professionals uh, to earn uh, certification credits. Uh, and we just recently got approved by Human Resource Certification Institute uh, as the courses that we produce uh, will be uh, approved for, for credit for anybody going toward their professional certifications, which is a big achievement for us and for me so that we can take this, this content and the stuff I've been working on and doing keynotes about and doing webinars about, now we'll put it in an online platform to develop leaders within the human resources profession. Right. It's needed. It's, it's something that's got to happen. Uh, and the, the online school will launch here within the next few weeks, mid-December timeframe, roughly, uh, once everything is set up and the marketing team's ready to go. And then we'll just have, boom, we'll be at it. Brilliant. Uh, well, congratulations with that. And I think the Bravo Center of Excellence, I'm sure, will do very well. And so let's, with all these stories that you've got, you've got such a wealth of experience, you know, the military, the White House, business, and now your own, your own business. Um, looking back with all the wisdom and the battle scars that you've accumulated, successes, failures, ups and downs. If you met your 18 year old self, but here's Bo aged 18, what mm -hmm. bit of wisdom and advice would you give your younger self? Yeah, I think the first thing I would tell myself is don't care what other people think. You can't, you can't live your life thinking uh, about uh, whether you want to make a decision or you have an idea uh, about what someone else might think about that idea or what it is that you have to say. I was very, I was very, uh, it seems odd today because I do a lot of speaking, but I was very much an introvert, keep things to myself, not because I didn't have thoughts or ideas in my head, but I worried too much about uh, what someone might say or even getting getting negative feedback or being criticized and so forth. And I've learned through the years, and I think probably even more so in the past, oh geez, maybe in the past 10 years, that you, you really can't 
you can't number one, please everybody. You just can't, it's impossible. So if you, if you take that as a fact, that helps you along the line of, you just got to put your stuff out there. You got to put your thoughts out there. You got to put your ideas out there and you just have to launch because if, if you don't, uh, you'll just always be thinking about the what ifs. What had? What if I would have done that? What if I would have said something? What if I would have brought this idea, you know, to fruition? What would have happened? And I don't want to live with. Uh, I don't want to live with regrets. So that eighteen-year-old self, I would. I would tell them. I would tell Bo. I would say, Hey, don't ever worry about what somebody else thinks. You got to get past that. That's that's great bit of advice. And. Um, the, the earlier thought I had was in all the experience you've had, what were the, um, some of the darkest moments in your personal life mm -hmm. and your work? And then we'll lift it to some of the lightest moments and the, the proudest moments. Sure. So give us, give us yeah. experience of the darkest moments and what you learned from it, how it shaped you, Bo, as a leader. Sure. I, you know, I've only spoken about this in public one time, and it was just about six weeks ago. I did an in-person. It was the first in-person speaking event this year uh, for a, for a more large mortgage company in Cleveland. Uh, and it was the first time I've ever publicly spoken about this time as a, as a dark time in my life, but it was very impactful. Uh, when I was 16 years old, I got very, very depressed. I was, um, I was bullied in high school or especially from 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. Uh, back then I was the chunky kid. Uh, and I really let that, I really let that impact me mentally. And I started getting depressed and then I quit school. I dropped out of high school when I was 16. I did not go back after the Christmas break. Uh, so, you know, after months of um, just feeling really down, super depressed, didn't know what life, what, what the value of my life was on the earth. Uh, and then it was uh, family members, family members that really kind of brought me back and got me back into school the following year. And um, I think God touched my life and, and that there was purpose for me. And, and I went back to school and, and I went, and this, this is where that, that time frame in my life, you know, I started the story out when I was 17 to join the army but it really started in those, in those dark times or out of those dark times. Uh, so you, I come through that and come through the, the depression and I went back to school. Now all my friends were seniors and they, 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 they graduated and um, I was still a junior. I had to do that whole year over again. And that's when I met the army recruiter and I went to boot camp and I got all this discipline and this confidence. And uh, I was a different, I was a different person when I came out of that. And I went back to school Now I had turned 18. So in the, in the US here, I was a legal, legal adult, if you will, went back to my high school and all my friends are gone. And I just, at that, if I had not, if I had not been through boot camp, I would not have had the, I would not have had the courage to do what I did. And I didn't, I was 18. I didn't need my parents' permission. So I went into about three weeks in, I just said, you know what, this isn't cutting it for me. This is not going to work. And I went into the guidance counselors. I withdrew myself from that school. I drove over to the neighboring county uh, where my father lived because my parents had been divorced years earlier. And I enrolled myself in the high school in his district. And I had a fantastic, amazing senior year of high school. It was just great. And uh, so I, I turned the darkness into to light, if you will. And, and you'll have to remind me of the rest of your question. Yeah, I mean, very powerful. And yeah. 
I think um, particularly with the work my wife and I do with people who are bullied at school, often vulnerable girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Girls can, I mean, blokes can be bad, but girls can be really tough on each other. Right. Particularly in their young age and yeah. image and body image and that kind of stuff. And so I really relate to what, how tough it must have been for you and, and the bullying. I, I was bullied at school too. Hmm. Um, it, fine enough in my, uh, my, my final two years uh, and f- f- bullied for being too nice. They said I was too nice, you know, oh, you know. Yeah. and call me get that. And, and just you think, how does this fit? I've been brought up to have these strong values of kindness and, mm-hmm. and care. And then you've got some really quite toxic people who Absolutely. really mess up people's lives. And uh, the lovely thing is I've gone back and met them since in the oh, army. Wow. Some, some of them got through, some didn't get through the army. But I was able to be completely gracious for, from a position of power where I was senior to them uh, mm-hmm. or, or I could help them out. And I did. Mm-hmm. But um, I did remind them. And I said, just think about the impact that you have on people. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I, 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 didn't, I didn't mean that. You know. Yeah. Uh, that was the, the, you know, talking about the, the rest of your question, where you were going with how, the impact of that on my leadership today. I, I, I think it truly without a doubt helped me when I'm, when I'm responsible for folks uh, and they're under my leadership and, and it really helps in the empathy that, that I can display when I, when you take that, when you take the view of what's happening from the other person's perspective, right. And maybe something can, because you care about them, you know, you know what their life is like, you know, what's happening at home and the family. And then if, if they're feeling depressed or down uh, or they're just not having a great day, Right. If, if you've never experienced those things, uh, it may be hard to relate to it. So yeah. I, think, I think that has helped me tremendously and what I've been able to accomplish throughout the years uh, and, and really being a go-to person to help people through their, through their issues. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's having those empathetic eyes. And I absolutely give tons of credit for that experience as a young teenager. Yeah. And uh, it's it's almost uh, I get the sense that you're also like me a fan of the sort of stoic philosophy that that it, it, I'm glad it happened to me or it happened to you yeah. made us the stronger I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody at the time but um, it, it it really particularly the military discipline as well that we both had mm-hmm. it allows us to face whatever they throw at us and, yeah. and life does throw things at us and, and what about uh, what about the the high points in your life. What, what would be a couple of proud moments of your life that you really were really chuffed about? And yes. What, what it taught you. Of course. Uh, absolutely amazing days uh, when my children were born. Those were just unbelievable, unbelievable moments. I don't think you can quite compare too many things to that. And and I was and I'm thankful and grateful that I was present. Uh, and that I was able to be there and I wasn't deployed or something like that with the army. And I was actually present uh, for both of my daughters when they were born. Uh, those are definitely highlights from a, from a career perspective, there are several and uh, I can, it, you know, as you get older, you get more wise or even when I'm putting things together to write my book and what am I going to write about? I can definitely define pivotal moments uh, for myself uh, that, that really kind of led to where I am today. And and one of those was simply, you know, I highlighted it in my book. It's, it was just a phone call and I happened to take the call and I was working one day 
And uh, the gentleman's one of my best friends today, but we were both on active duty, but we were not working together. And he was recruiting me for a certain special assignment. And I just happened to take the phone call, listen to what he had to say. And it was not a lot because there was, there was a lot of classified stuff happening where he was working and there's just things he could not tell me about the organization, but it just, he said, Hey, you want to jump out of planes? I said, yeah, sure. sounds like fun. And he said, okay, send me, send me X documentation about yourself and we'll go from there. And I just said, okay, I'll do it. And I sent it along. I really didn't know who he was, where he was at. This was the days before, you know, you could Google people. Uh, that stuff didn't exist. Uh, so I sent him all my paperwork and that was a real defining moment because it turned into, um, it, it really, it really led the, led the way to what happened next. And uh, I got the job, got the assignment. And that's where I met the individual who actually hired me to go work at the white house. Uh, Cause he was my boss in that job. And then he was the guy I replaced. Um, so I was at the white house for a few years. And then I left, went to Germany deployed to Iraq. I was gone for a few years, came back and replaced that same guy. And only now I was the boss and the one in charge. Mm -hmm. Um, So very, very, very much highlights. Uh, One of the things that, that I am very uh, proud of, and it was an accomplishment uh, for me in my, in my military career was when I decided uh, that I would put in a, uh, an application and hope for selection to the U S army warrant officer corps. Uh, so, so I did that. I had all kinds of support in my command to do it. And it's a very competitive, uh, very competitive endeavor. And I was fortunate. I got selected. And then when I went to warrant officer candidate school, uh, that was, that was one of the most arduous trainings events I had ever been in. And, uh, all you can say is they give you they give you a million tasks to complete. They know you can't get them all done, but they're going to see how you, how you come out of that and how you deal with it and how do you prioritize and how do you work together as a team. And, and you have all of these, all of these uh, things you have to abide by. There's an honor code and, and you just, you're, you're confined in this, in this uh, almost volatile environment to accomplish all of the stuff that you have to do and learn along the way. And then there's a rotation of who's in charge and so forth. So when I talk about like leader, even leadership development in corporate American, we say, you know, how do you relate that to the military? Well, in the military, you get, you get trained, you get tested, and then you go out and do. So in this environment with uh, the candidate school, you're being, you're not really being trained because you're already been in leadership positions before you get there, but you are being tested from the moment you walk in the door. And then a highlight of that for me at the very end, I think there were roughly 60, 60 students or so forth, 60 of us in this course. Everybody's had already been in the army for say roughly between eight and 12, 13 years, right? So nobody's new to this, to the army soldier game. We're all playing it. Uh, nobody's new to leadership. And then at the very end, about a week from completion, they gather all of the students and it's like voting. So everybody has to determine who they, who they felt, not from the cadre or the instructors, but the students, the ones that are in this thing together, who stood out as the best leader in their class uh, and getting the, getting the teams or the class through this, all of these assignments and tasks that you had to perform. And I was selected as, as the best leader of the class. Uh, and so then I led the class for the last I was the, the leader of the class for the last week of uh, before graduation. That 
it's a little, it's a, it's a little, uh, almost looks like a, a trophy piece of glass. It's etched, has my name on it. That award uh, that I received at graduation was probably one of the best awards I've ever received. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not a medal that I could pin on my uniform because that was, that was something that was uh, given to me by my peers. Yeah. Yeah. If you will. Yeah. That was, that was, you know, defining moment uh, for myself that I'm, I've built some, and at that point I was roughly 34 years old. So I had start, I had, I was, well, I have a foundation here. I have a leadership foundation that I'm actually executing and taking care of people and making sure that uh, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and, and all of those types of things. And I can take that and continue building upon that. And, and that's what I've done. Brilliant. And now we're going to have a, a whistle stop tour around the eight components of what makes inspiring leaders and uh, mm-hmm. the work that the research that we've done. The first one is moral uh, quotient MQ and, mm-hmm. and sort of what moral values and virtues do you aspire to live by? And when you've let them slip, how have you got yourself back on track again? Oh. Sure. Uh, that question is steeped in, in what I write about and what I even speak about in values-based leadership in that I learned, and I, and I hate to keep harping on this, but it's, it's just the way it went for me. Uh, you know, the values, seven values of the United States Army, uh, loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, personal courage. I adopted those at an early age uh, that, that were proven to be a great moral compass. You can do that. You can apply those to your personal life. You can modify them, modify the definitions, look at the type of behaviors that would be amplified by those values and that, that moral compass, if you will. Um, and, and I even encourage business leaders to do the same. If you don't know what your corporate values are or you're having a hard time establishing them, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the, those seven values. Pick a few of them, pick all of them but let's get to work on defining how you can use those uh, in your company. Uh, so, so from the, from the MQ uh, perspective, that that's where I go. And when I start to slip, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate that I have all types of material that I can go back and research or reference and read about uh, and so forth uh, just to get my mind. I think it's, you know, I had a, I had a leader in the army and his saying or his quote was get your mind right. And, and that, uh, that has stuck with me for, wow, 15 years now. Yeah. That's a, a really good saying, get your mind right. I'm writing that down actually. Yeah. Uh, mental attitude is everything. Your attitude defines your altitude as one of my instructors would say to me. And then on to PQ, uh, which is, you know, what gives your life meaning and purpose. The Indians talk about Dharma or your calling or your vocation, you know, why, do you do what you do now? And, you know, what yeah. gives your life meaning? Um, I think my, I think my, my life has meaning because of the gifts and talents that, that were given to me. Uh, I'm a Christian man and I truly believe that my gifts uh, were, are divine. They came from God. He gave, he gave me what he gave me. He gave you what he gave you. And, and that's, that's the calling that I've had. And for me, it's, you know, someone says, you know, or I'll tell people like, what's my calling? My calling is to help others. Well, don't we all kind of want to help others? But I tell you, Jonathan, you know, I have had so many experiences where 
where I've had people lined up outside my door, one just waiting to talk about any issue that's bothering them or that they need help with. And I've had this, I think I have, I've had this gift and I've just, and I've executed it. So it's not like, oh yeah, I'm good at that. And I don't do it. This is what I absolutely do. And, and when I talk with people, I truly take on their issues as if they were my own issues and we got to find solutions. There has to be a way to work through this. And, and you never know really the impact of that uh, on what you're doing, yeah. which is okay by me. I don't, I don't have to know. I don't have to be rewarded in any way, shape or form. I just have to keep doing what, what I do. And I have passion for that. Yeah. And I think that's a big piece of trying to figure out uh, what your calling or your purpose is, mm-hmm. is whether or not you have any like self-passion uh, for the work or whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah. Um, no passion. You know, maybe you want to reassess. I'm not sure. Yeah, that, that's, that's a really good one. And I love that quote, the people, the people who know what and how will always work for the people who know why. And, and the next one is HQ, which of course to us as ex-military men, we'd think it's headquarters, but it's not, it's <laughs> health quotient. And, and you and I were chatting before we went on air about just how important it is to keep, we both kept keep ourselves as fit as we possibly can, even in mm-hmm. uh, early fifties for you and late fifties for me. <laughs> and um, so tell us a bit about, you know, how important it is to you now, health and well-being. Mm-hmm. What, what you do to keep in good shape mentally and, and physically? I think, it's, I think it's absolutely critical. We'll start physically first. Uh, your health, your, your physical health is, it, you know, I'm not a scientist, but I, I do read. And there's all types, of, all types of reading you can do about the connection truly between physical health and mental health. And when you exercise and so forth and the, the, the hormones and stuff that get released from the mind and, or, you know, that are just produced in your body and then that impacts your mind and how you feel. So there's, there's a physical connection between the two. So for physical fitness, I mean, for me, it's, it's uh, I love lifting weights. So I, I do that, you know, I'm lifting, lifting weights probably four times a week, you know, then I have some cardio as well to keep the heart and everything in shape the best that I can. And yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm, I'm 51 years old and I'm still hitting new, new personal records, you know, on the bench press and on the leg and, and in strength, strength and endurance and conditioning. And, and I'm quite, I'm surprised every time I'm like, man, I'm still, this is great. Right. And what I've, what I've applied that to, and I use the physical fitness as an analogy to life. And even if you have, if you're an entrepreneur or even just in general, and you want to get promoted at work, whatever the case might be, when you go to, when you go to the fitness center or you're working out at home, when you make it consistent and it's, and you make it hard. So your consistency plus hard work, uh, physically you will see gains. It's almost impossible to not see gains. That's just how our human body biologically works. Muscle breaks down, it builds back up. And as you keep pushing it over and over and over time and time again, you know, and you're consistent, they'll grow stronger and stronger and stronger. And you will, you will continue your physical fitness journey and you'll just keep getting better. And I think that applies to, to life. You know, if you're consistent and you work hard and you don't quit and you don't give up, uh, you will see gains uh, in life. So how does that transition to your, your mental state? I think anytime, anytime you're making gains, you know, you're going to feel good uh, about the gains that you're making. 
And, you know, I think, I think you have to make sure that you, I love reading. You need to read a, um, all kinds of different books, if you will, yeah. professional development books, you know, occasionally read a fiction book to build your creativity or, or whatever innovation in your mind and create stories in your mind, uh, your spiritual side, right? Yeah. All applies. Great. No. And you've made me think, um, I particularly am enjoying a book called range, uh, mm-hmm. which is about, you know, everybody talks about the 10,000 hours and purposeful practice and, you know, how you can become a chess master or a, you know, a, a golfer at the age of uh, two, if you're uh, Tiger Woods, yeah. but they're now finding that those, those are what they call uh, kind kind of activities, but the really wicked ones need a lot of mental and physical uh, range. And so computers can't do those as they can do those kind of, uh, they can't do the other skills, which are more wicked. Uh, I, I find that a very interesting book. Um, On to IQ, uh, decision-making wisdom. I'm particularly interested, a bit, off, a bit off at a tangent, but in the current climate, people have to make decisions. They're in tough meetings. They've got really complex budgets to sort out and things. Any kind of tips that you've got about running good virtual meetings where they've got to make decisions and you've got a group of, you know, 10 of them there in a room on Zoom. Yeah. What, what, any kind of yeah. two or three tips you'd pass over? I haven't asked you this before, but I just wondered. Yeah, no, sure. Number one, you have to have, and, and I think this applies to, uh, number one, if you're going on Zoom, man- mandatory that you have your video on. People have to see each other. It's the, it's the best way you have today, uh, closest you're going to get to in-person meetings. So you can't, you cannot have, you know, when you think about meetings or even training sessions, you know, we're, that you set up or that you run, you got to have some protocols, right? It's like, what are our rules of engagement for this, for the meetings that we hold? So, uh, so when it comes to Zoom or online or video conferencing, yeah, got it. Zoom will, will give you a dial-in phone number as well, but that's not the protocol for the meeting. You got to have, you got to be ready. You got to be seated, whatever. And you have to have the video on so that you can, you can all see each other. Right. So that that's number one tip. Number two, just like any meeting, you have to have, you have to have a purpose. You have to have communicated that purpose and you have to have a process or a system by which, by which you're going to attack the meeting. So it's a decision. So if we're talking about getting to a decision, uh, we're talking about a decision-making process. So you can't, you know, it's, it's not waiting until the meeting to figure out what that process is going to be. So if, if you're leading the meeting, um, this is one of those leadership, leadership skills or tactics. And if you think about uh, just a simple phrase that you lead people and you manage tasks, well, if you, if you want people to perform inside of a meeting in a certain way to get to the best possible decision, you have to have communicated with them prior to and influence them on what it is you need them to bring to the table because we're going to be making a decision on X and uh, you have to, you have to come with a process. So you have to have a a decision-making process in place for you to execute in that meeting. Everybody needs to know what it is and you need to be prepared. So it's, it's giving homework before the meeting. If you can, as much time as possible, not always, you know, depending upon what's happening or what type of crises might be hitting you, especially today. Uh, You never know when the next lockdown's coming or what's happening. Um, but you have to be prepared as possible for the meeting. And if we haven't learned anything in the past eight months, um, if you've learned nothing else, I would hope that you've started to learn that you have to be prepared. You have to have 
you have to have a crisis leadership mentality and have things that you're going to execute when those things happen. If you think about uh, an airline, you know, uh, one of the founders of one of our major airlines in the U.S. wrote the forward to my book. And we talk about um, what's called a VUCA environment, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous, right? Uh, and that's kind of what people have been, um, what people have been thrust into due to COVID-19. Everybody, all businesses have been put into it, uh, but with very little experience of ever having to deal with a real crisis in their, in their business. But you take an airline, crisis can happen with an airline any day, and it's not related to a pandemic. It could be a crash. It can be an accident on the runway. It can be anything. And they've developed these standard operating procedures. So when a crisis does happen, in, in literal sense, they pull the book out. Step one, you know, call the, the airport fire department. Step two, you know, they've just got this laid out. And maybe in that moment, it's an 80% solution uh, already in place. And then leadership on top of that, you really can make some uh, good, the best decisions you can make in those environments, in those scenarios. So, yeah. That's great. That could be a whole topic in and of oh, itself. I can tell. It's, it's great. That's very handy, actually, Bo. Thank you. And then we talk about people and relationships. Uh, EQ, emotional and social intelligence. It's a huge area in itself. But the skill of rapport building and really listening to people, would you give any tips on, on that? How, how have sure. you seen people listen really well? Yeah, so I have this, uh, I have this mantra. Uh, and first and foremost, it's based upon, I think, is the most critical aspect of leadership. And that's caring, having a caring mentality, caring attitude. Uh, for your people. You have to truly care about them. And then of course, number two is to be able to listen. So you have to be, to be a great leader, leader you have to be a great listener. And one of, one of the things I tell people, like if, you're, if you struggle with this, say in a corporate environment, right? Of really listening, there is a physical thing that you can do to help yourself listen. So someone comes into your office and just like you and I now, we're, we're seated, we're sitting at our, at our desk. Well, when we're sitting at our desk, you've got your computer in front of you, your phone might be at, on your desk and somebody sits down in your office or they sit down across from you or they're standing up. You have, you have the potential for all these distractions. So the best thing for you to do is to stand up. Is to stand up, you're not looking at your computer, you get more at eye level, so you're eye to eye with the individual and then ask them to, to tell you what it is that they wanna tell you and look at them. It's really, really hard uh, to then look at the other things that could distract you from the conversation. So you have to, you have to be purposeful in getting rid of distractions in order to listen. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, nicely put. And uh, I, I love walking meetings in those days. Do you remember those days when we used to meet people? Yeah, um, I know, do. So much. And those I, were... I have some lovely walking meetings with people or what we do now is we call each other and we both go for a walk and yeah. we're out of the office to get them out of there. Resilience. The next one, um, mm -hmm. RQ. How have you picked yourself up in times of adversity and boy, whether you're jumping out of airplanes as I did or doing other things, mm -hmm. you've had a few and what gives you the resilience to get through tough times? Yeah. Number one is number one is my faith. Uh, number two is family. Uh, and num number three is really doing a focusing on what we talked about earlier in health and health and wellness, uh, physical and, and mental health. Uh, 
we all go through uh, times of adversity, uh, ups and downs, some, some worse than, than the rest. Uh, but you do have to have something that you as an individual uh, grab onto. Uh, for me, number one, it's faith. There's, there's a bigger purpose than me on this earth. Uh, but there's a reason for us all to be here. And, and oh, by the way, you know, something I learned, Jonathan, it seems, it seems so simple. Um, but having gone through, and this is, you know, there's so many best practices that I learned in that, you know, over two decades military journey, and you're going through all these different types of things, even, uh, even combat, right? So I, I knew that, you know, that was not easy. That was really one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life and getting on a bus and saying goodbye to my small children. And you know that you're going somewhere where people want to, you know, there's an enemy that wants you dead. They want, you know, they don't, they don't want you to come there, but you're going, you're being, you know, this is what you do. Um, I learned something really simple that helps me through those times. And that was always, I would tell myself, you can't stop the clock, right? So even if it's arduous training or real world, you're in combat, the clock's going to keep ticking. There's going to come a day when this ends, it will, it will end. The training will end, right? Running running everywhere you go for airborne training or to jump out of an airplane, or even when you're up in the sky and you're waiting to jump and you know, you're getting air sick or you're getting whatever, you know that, well, it's not going to be too much longer and this is going to end because I'm going to jump out of this airplane, right? So having the attitude, it goes with your attitude or the mentality that when it's a tough time and, and with experience, you'll be able to look back and say, yep, every tough time at some point comes to an end there will be an end and then it'll transition into something better. So it was a little mental game, I guess, that I played with myself. I love yeah. it. You can't stop the clock. That's really can't stop the clock. Last two um, brand um, uh, BQ brand reputation, image impact, and then we'll go into legacy. Mm -hmm. But um, what have you learned from 360 feedback that you've had yeah. over the years and um, your mistakes and sort of lifelong learning? What have, what have you learned from that to, yeah. To give you the brand. I had a, I had a, um, it was eye opening really from a 360. And this was the most recent one. It was, it was about three, three years ago when I was going through the executive MBA uh, program. And, you know, the 360 subordinates, peers, superiors. And, and in reading the results, it was, it's just, it's really profound. Uh, in reading the results, I had very, very high rankings and in, in leadership and so forth from uh, superior, from subordinates and from peers. And then when you read the superiors and what the superiors thought, they had a lot more to say, right? And it wasn't the highest rankings in the, in the, uh, in the 360. And then I really thought about that for a moment and they weren't necessarily, they weren't bad rankings. So if, um, subordinates, subordinates and peers out of the five point scale was, was somewhere around like 4.9, 4.85, but then from the superiors, it was like 4.0, right? So it was, it was still significantly different than how subordinates and peers viewed me. And I thought, you know what? I think, I think that's great, right? I love that. I took that as that identify, truly does identify me because when I'm in those positions, I'm concerned about serving those that I lead. I'm not, I'm not as concerned about serving those who lead me. Does that, does that make yeah. sense? Oh yeah. 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 In fact, I was just 
writing a 360 degree report on on a managing director and mm -hmm. she, she's loved by the people she leads and some of her peers but her bosses always find her hard she just kicks back against them and uh, doesn't <laughs> like the meddling in her part that's very interesting <laughs> yeah uh, and Bo, onto the final the final bit and god this has been really great i've really enjoyed this found it uh, such a wealth we've only just skimmed across it they do say that yeah. in in uh, when people speak, you only learn about 10% of what they're thinking about. And that's yeah, what I believe in. that. So on legacy, uh, what would you like your personal and your work legacy to, to be when you uh, when you pass uh, into the next yeah. next life? That's I'm, I'm glad you asked that question, because I've thought a lot about that this year, especially and having to pivot and what's happening. And I think the legacy uh, it, it's combined. I'm trying to turn my personal into what I'm doing for work in the keynote and the coaching and speaking and the Bravo center of excellence. Uh, the legacy is the legacy that I would love to be remembered for and to live on is that I did my best to pass on everything that I have learned and that I've been able to do and execute to others so that, you know, there's always the building up of those who come after you. Uh, to be able to leave. That's why I think uh, things like the the podcast, right? It's not doing a podcast because I, I want, you know, to make a hundred million dollars like, you know, Joe Rogan or something like that. The podcast is an opportunity to, to leave a legacy. It's recorded. It's, you know, it's us talking with guests about all of these types of things. And I think that will be uh, super important. The right, the writing, you know, the same way. There's a book, there's a journey for gener not just not just non-family members, but even for, for my own family, you know, generations to come, who was our great, great, great grandfather here, read his book, right. You'll learn all about him type yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. As those types of things. That's brilliant. But you make yeah. me smile because my own two daughters, I've got two daughters as well, who are now uh -huh. 26 and 27. They haven't got around to reading dad's book. They know it's <laughs> They're just like your own family never kind of finished reading it. Yeah. Um, my my father, who was a fast jet pilot in the Navy and trained mm. with the U.S. Uh, Navy too in Pensacola in Texas, nice. um, on the on the Gulf there, he um, he had a saying which my mother told me about because he was killed when I was three, and that was "Don't die with the music still in you," and mm. and I think that's what you have shown us today, Bo, that you, you're um, you're determined to pass on the skills and the knowledge and the experience that you've hard fought, you've had to learn it, and mm. I just thank you for being on the inspiring leadership series i found you very inspiring very authentic and you bring what i always look for which is a bit of humility some humanity a bit of humor but a wealth of experience and thank you for sharing it and thank you for being on the show thank you jonathan it has been a wonderful wonderful time i appreciate it very much that's all cheers Bo. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. 
And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.